Here is your Radio Theater Channel weekly podcast for download. The RTC still has the very best old-time radio on the live streaming. And if it's music you love, tune in to the RTC Music Channel, where this link and many others are on our website at oldtimeradiolisten.com. Now, here's Jim. Thank you for joining us on this, the RTC Weekly Download. I am Jim Dolan, and today we have one more week of Christmas programs I hope you will enjoy. We'll start off with Gracie Allen. How does Gracie do her party? Well, we'll find out with a Burns and Allen show from 1947. And after that, it's time for Tales of the Texas Rangers and the Christmas Payoff from 1951. Here's Burns and Allen. Ladies and gentlemen, this is George Burns. The old flu, boy, uh, flu bug that's going around got Gracie today, and at the last minute, she couldn't make it to the studio. It was too late to rewrite the script. But a very dear friend of ours has stepped in and offered to read Gracie's lines. She's a very famous and talented movie star. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Jane Wyman. Uh, okay, Janie, from now on, you're Gracie. Take it. Another cup of Maxwell House coffee, George? Sure. Pour me a cup, Gracie. You know, Maxwell House is always good to the last <laughs> drop. And that drop's good, too. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. With yours truly, Toby Reed, Hans Conrad, Gail Gordon, Henry Blair, Meredith Wilson, and the Maxwell House Orchestra, and Bill Goodwin. For your Christmas night comedy enjoyment, it's George and Gracie. Brought to you with holiday greetings from the makers of Maxwell House Coffee. Always good to the last drop. Well, it's Christmas morning as we look in at the Burns house and George and Gracie are making their plans for the day. George, let's invite all our friends over this afternoon. Okay, Gracie. I can make some turkey sandwiches and coffee. Uh, oh, George, we'll have an open house. Swell, and then I'll pass around my cigars. Oh, but, but George, I can't open the house that much. <laughs> are you inferring that my cigars are strong? Well, remember last Christmas when poor Meredith Wilson smoked one? Yeah. Well, he turned so green, everyone hung, hung tinsel on him. <laughs> well, I'll have Meredith go easy. Uh, who else shall we invite? Well, Dr. Miller's wife is visiting her mother, so... Let's be sure and invite him, and then Bill Goodwin, and Mr. Judson the Texan. Well, do you think a guy with Judson's millions will be happy with turkey sandwiches and my cigars? Oh, he's one man who loves your cigars. He says the cowboys use them in Texas. Really? Yeah. Only he says instead of cutting them up into cigars, they just leave them in one long piece of rope. <laughs> I see. Well, let's call on Mr. Judson first. Uh, I think he's at the Ambassador Hotel, isn't he? Yes, he has seven, eight, nine, and ten. He's got four rooms? No, four floors. <laughs> oh, yes, I forgot he's broke. Come, let's go. Merry Christmas, Mr. Judson. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Well, now, the same to you. Did Santa Claus come to see you last night? Yeah, yeah. I reckon by now old Santa's heading back to his home in Texas. <laughs> I, uh, I think the old boy is supposed to live at the North Pole. Santa Claus don't live in Texas? No. Well, now, that sure is mighty unfair. <laughs> unfair? Well, he's so nice to everyone, and look what a dirty deal he got. <laughs> yes, it was rough on the old boy. Mr. Judson, we'd like for you to come over and spend Christmas with us. Well, now, I'd be delighted. Are, are you sure you want me? Well, if you don't come, we'll be dismayed. <laughs> Us to pick you up later? No, no. You don't have to bother. I'll drive over in the old bus. What kind do you drive? A regular Greyhound bus. <laughs> you own a Greyhound bus? Yeah. Well, now, I got on it one day, and the driver didn't have change of a $10,000 bill, so oh, I, I bought, bought the bus. bus. <laughs> well, let's go over and invite Bill Goodwin, Gracie. See you at the house, Mr. Judson. Yes, and, and don't do not do anything fancy, Mr. Judson. Just it's nice little quiet get-together. Oh, that will be nice. We can sit around and swap yarns. <laughs> 
Oh, do you like to knit? <laughs> do I like... We got you out of bed, Bill. Oh, that's all right, Gracie. I got up at 6 o'clock to look at my stocking. What'd you find? My foot. I forgot to take them off. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like you had a large evening. Well, you know, Christmas Eve, George. Had to remember all my girls. Well, what'd you give them, Bill? I gave each girl a ring. Really? Yeah, I was on the phone all night. Generous little kid, you know. <laughs> oh, Bill, George and I would like for you to spend Christmas at our house. Can you make it? Oh, sure, Gracie. Count me in. I'll have plenty of my cigars for you to smoke. Count me out. <laughs> oh, but, Bill, we're going to serve Maxwell House coffee. Oh, count me in. And, of course, I'll sing a few songs. Count me out. Count I me know. Out. <laughs> Look, Toto. Yes. If it'll, if it'll make you happy, I'll sing about Maxwell House coffee. Oh, no, George. Not with your voice. Maxwell House is America's number one coffee. And George is America's number one singer. Maxwell House is loved by millions. And George is loved by millions. Maxwell House has been great since 1885. And George has been okay, great. Okay. <laughs> So you won't come over, huh, Bill? Ah, sure I will, George. I was only kidding. I love to come to your house. There's always something warm and friendly there. Really, Bill? Yeah, and be sure you have a cup of it ready for me. (laughs) Oh, the coffee. Yes, Yes. I just got it. But I'll see you later with it. Got me out. Oh, I wonder if Meredith is at home. Oh, yeah, he's here. I can hear him tootling on that silly flute. Well, Merry Christmas, all. Oh, Happy New Year, all. Oh, we're having open house this afternoon, Meredith. Will you come over? Oh, you bet I will. Can I bring Fifi? Fifi, it's... Uh, who threw that at me? <laughs> <laughs> Who's Fifi? Well, a young lady from Paris, France, with whom I had a date last night. That's who. <laughs> what an evening. What'd you do? Well, knowing she was French, I played her some Ravel and Guno. Oh, I bet those French games are fun. <laughs> uh, Gracie, they're composers. I played Fifi 17 selections on the flute. Yeah? What an evening. <laughs> there was only... I want to say there was only one disturbing element. <laughs> yeah. Now and then, Fifi would look at me and say, Kel Jerk. <laughs> and that disturbed you? Yes. I don't understand French, and I was afraid the word tell might mean something uncomplimentary. Oh, Meredith, it means what? She was saying, what a jerk. Oh, thanks, Gracie. That takes quite a load off my mind. (laughs) Being called a jerk doesn't bother you? Not at all, George. Jerk must be a term of endearment. All my friends call me that. (laughs) Well, it's the same as spunky, yes. Well... Meredith, you're really a case. You played 17 songs on the flute, and you didn't even give Fifi one kiss. Oh, yes, I did, George. The 11th number I played was one kiss from the operetta New Moon. <laughs> uh, be there at 12. The sociable will be over at 11. <laughs> Goodbye, all. Goodbye, all. Oh, George, I'd better hurry home and get things ready for our open house. Okay, Gracie, and I'll go and invite Dr. Miller. <laughs> Why, I'd be delighted to come to your open house, George. Well, swell, Doctor. How about your little son? Oh, Bobby will be quite content to stay home alone. Won't you, Bobby? Indeed I will, Daddy. Anything you say, sir. Say, Doc, you really got the little fellow trained. George, I'm a psychiatrist. Hmm. You know, my wife used to spank him until her hand was blistered and did absolutely no good. Then along I came with a book on child psychology. That did it, huh? Oh, yes. When I spanked him with that book, he straightened right out. Psychology is great if you can lift it. <laughs> Daddy, can I play with my electric train now? Oh, why, of course, huh? 
George, you're about to witness the practical application of psychology to the choice of a child's Christmas present. What do you mean? The assembling and operating of this train will teach Barbie many valuable lessons. Really? Yeah, now observe. Putting the tracks together will teach him how to work with his hands. Mm. See the sections of the track, they fit into one another like... Bobby, get your hands off. Daddy's putting tracks together. Yes, sir. So I was saying, this teaches him to work with his hands. I can see that. Yeah. I can see that, Doc. Now, the next step is to put the cars together. Here, Bobby learns the lesson of observation. Which car comes first? I think the engine comes first like this, and then Son, the cool... you want to break things? <laughs> Daddy will put the cars together. Yeah, kid, take it easy. You'll wear yourself out. <laughs> now I'll start the train. And here comes Bobby's lesson in coordination, George. He must figure out which way to throw the switch in order to send the train through the tunnel instead of crashing into those freight cars. Well, that's easy. I just throw the switch this way. Bobby, you please keep your hands off your nice new toy. I'll throw the switch. There. But, Daddy, that's the wrong way. Well, no, your father's a great deal older and wiser than you are, son. I know, but, Daddy... Son, I'm trying to teach you something. Now, pay attention. What's the use? You give a child a nice toy, the first thing he does is break it up. <laughs> yes, you see it, you Christmas, what a gay, festive holiday it was 50 years ago at the celebrated old Maxwell House Hotel. This was the day when Nashville's famous hostelry outdid itself in bountiful hospitality of the season. Now just listen to this bill of fare. Oysters in champagne, baked opossum, breast of white swan, roast Kentucky coon. These and other savories were served in regal style when Christmas Day came round. But with all the delicacies the old Maxwell House offered, its coffee was praised the most. A special blend whose rare and satisfying flavor captured the very essence of this joyous season. Today, perhaps, Tennessee opossum and Kentucky coon are forgotten. Picturesque traditions of an earlier Christmas day. But the rich and hospitable spirit they suggest, the spirit of old-fashioned Christmas cheer, lives on and on. This is the heritage of Maxwell House coffee. And it's in this spirit that the makers of Maxwell House wish you the very merriest of Christmases and the happiest of New Year's. And now back to the Burns home with George and Gracie, played by Miss Jane Wyman. Well, George, our guest should be arriving pretty soon. Yeah, you know, Gracie, I wish I had presents hanging on the tree for them. Oh, don't worry about that. A glorious song from you will be their present, Sugar Throat. <laughs> oh, jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle all the way, oh, it's fun. <laughs> when you sing, you're the perfect Christmas present. You think so? Oh, everyone thinks so. The other night at that party when you sang, I heard 15 people say that you should be hanging from a tree. <laughs> I'll have to think that one over. As soon as everyone gets here, I'll ask you to sing. Yeah, but uh, be kind of subtle about it, Gracie. Uh, lead into it from the conversation. Well, what do you mean? Well, for example, we know that Dr. Miller is going to talk about psychoanalyzing people, so have a lead-in ready off of that. Oh, I get it. If he's talking about his patients, I'll say, Oh, speaking of being crazy, would you like to hear George sing? <laughs> I think we can be more subtle than that. Now, he's sure to talk about dreams, so you say, Speaking of dreams, George sings like one. Oh, George, how brilliant. Oh, well, you're smart enough for two people. I have to be. <laughs> now... Mr. Judson will talk about Texas, so you say, speaking of glorious Texas, reminds me of my husband's glorious voice. Oh, well, that's easy. Now, and, and getting a, a, a music cue for Meredith is even easier. 
All you have to do is suggest that he play the flute and he'll blow his brains out. Well, how does that get you to sing? Well, while he's getting his flute out of the case, you quick suggest that I sing first. Oh, yes, yes. I'll say, wait till you've heard George sing and then blow your brains out. <laughs> uh, you just ask him to play the flute and I'll take it from there. Glad to, Gracie, but I left it at home. Oh, well, that's too bad, Meredith. But we can have some other entertainment. Oh, very well. I'll regale you with stories of Mason City Island. I don't want to be regaled. Every Christmas, Mason City has what is called the Mason City Corn Festival. This is held in Mason City. Well, you'll regale us later. Yes, yes. Well, sir, again and again, I was chosen to represent the spirit of corn. (laughs) They couldn't have made a better choice. Thank you. Well, I stood in the center of the stage with my arms outstretched, holding an ear in each hand. Oh, my goodness, that must have stretched them terribly. (laughs) Yeah, too bad they didn't snap back. (laughs) Bill, they weren't the same ears you see now. Oh, they were ears of corn. And on my shoulders, I had a pumpkin. Well, that's the same one we see now. (laughs) I'd like to see you in the next room for a moment. Excuse us, folks. Uh, Meredith will never stop talking about Mason City, so you'd better take your cue for Mr. Judson. Remember the one we rigged up for him? Well, you better tell me again. Okay. First, we get him to say something about Texas. Then you say, speaking of glorious Texas reminds me of my husband's glorious voice. How about a song from George? Got it? Got it. So do it. Yeah, there we were. Oh, Mr. Judson. Say, little lady, I just had an idea. How, how about a song from George? Oh, speaking of a song from George reminds me of Glorious Texas. Oh, no. <laughs> Glorious Texas is right. Now, you sit down and I'll tell you all about it. Gracie, step in the next room for a moment. Why, down there in Texas, we... Well, you certainly fixed that one up, good. He says, how about a song, and you say that reminds me of Texas. Well, I'm sorry, George. All of a sudden, I just went into reverse. Well, go back to Judson and use the right gear shift. <laughs> Your cue is speaking of glorious Texas. Well, now, don't worry. I'll do it this time. And down there, they've got... Oh, all... Mr. Judson. Oh, yeah, little lady? Is Texas really as glorious as you say it is? Why, it's a paradise. The Texas sky is just as beautiful and blue as your lovely eyes. Oh, speaking of my... <laughs> <laughs> I, I said our sky is as lovely as your eyes. You really think my eyes are lovely? I sure do. Especially speaking of glorious Texas. Oh, speaking of glorious Texas, how about my hair? <laughs> well, that's mighty pretty, too. Like the gold of a Texas sunset. Uh, Gracie. Ever happen to notice my complexion? Yeah, yeah, it's as soft as the petals of a Texas prairie flower. Step in the next room for a moment. <laughs> Again, you messed me up. Things like this wouldn't happen if you were a sane, sensible woman like Janie Wyman. Oh, now, she's no smarter than I am Mm, Well, this time I'll give my own cue How? When we go back, you ask me how I used to celebrate Christmas when I was a boy I'll take it from there All right You're having a good time, everybody? Oh, Oh, that's nice George, George, how did you celebrate Christmas when you were a boy? Well, when I was a boy, I was very poor but on Christmas Day, we used to get together and I would sing a song that went something like this. Oh, heart of my heart, I love that's you. That's a mighty fine note. Let's get up a quartet and have a little close harmony. Yeah, oh, that's a great idea. Wonderful. Well, okay, okay, that's better than nothing. I'll tell you what I'll, I'll sing. sing these. Uh, I'll sing Barrett. I'll sing first tenor. I'll sing second tenor. Well, that's the whole quartet. <laughs> what, uh, what'll I do? Why, uh, you hit us a chord on the piano. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> The bomb setting of Victor Herbert's Toyland.
doing great. The quartet has sung ten numbers, and I haven't opened my mouth. Oh, well, we're not licked, George. You had a wonderful idea to lead into a song from Dr. Miller's conversation. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's the one where you get him to talk about dreams, and then you say, speaking of dreams, George sings like one. Oh, that's simple. A dummy could handle that. Well, start handling. Look, Gracie has something to ask Dr. Miller. Yes, Gracie? I love to hear about your psychiatry cases. Have your patients had any dreams lately? Oh, yes. One of them had a horrible nightmare. Oh, speaking of horrible nightmares, George sings like one. (laughs) Step into the next room for a moment. (laughs) Well, you did it again. Well, I meant to say dream, George, but I opened my mouth and nightmare popped out. That's happened many times in your life. Well, we've got one more chance, Bill Goodman. Oh, but we don't have a cue ready for him. With Bill, you don't need a plan ahead. You just go in there and say that you're going to make Maxwell House coffee. Bill will say, Maxwell House is rich and mellow. Then you say, my voice is rich and mellow, and we're in. Oh, well, that's easy. I just wait for Bill to say that Maxwell House coffee is rich and mellow. Rich and mellow. Right. right. Here we go. go. Oh, uh, uh, Bill. Yes, Gracie? Uh, I'm going to make some Maxwell House coffee. Oh, swell. (laughs) <laughs> well, well, Bill, what is Maxwell House? Good to the last drop. Oh, what else? Preferred by millions. Oh, say, Gracie, speaking of millions reminds me of this girl I met. Uh, she's the daughter of a Pasadena millionaire. Boy, is she rich and mellow. Oh, but what about Maxwell House? Oh, she loves it. <laughs> she's a smart girl in addition to being rich and mellow. But... What about Maxwell House? Gracie, take my song cue from what he says about the girl. Oh, oh. Uh, what did you say about the girl, Bill? Her old man is lousy with money. Oh! <laughs> Speaking of lousy, okay, George... Okay, okay. <laughs> well, you fix that one, too. You want to see me in the next room, huh? <laughs> this time I want to see Meredith. Meredith? Me, George? Yes, yeah, step into the next room. Very well. Uh, look, Meredith... Maybe you can help me. You're an agreeable sort of a schmo. <laughs> or, as the French would say, Cal schmo. Oui, oui. Yeah. And now, go back there, hit a chord on the piano, and say, how about a song from the talented member of the Burns family, George? Oh, I'll be glad to. Good, let's do it. Yeah, there we go. All right, now, how about a song from that talented member of the Burns family? Yeah. Let's have a song from Gracie. Oh, Gracie. Oh, well, thank you, but, but I'm really not prepared. George. Uh, yes, Gracie. You want me to do something? Yes, run, get my music. Ah, <laughs> uh, you don't need music, Gracie. Sing that song you did for us last Christmas when Irish eyes are smiling. Well, all right, Bill. When Irish eyes are smiling, shoot his like a breath of spring. With the lift of Irish laughter, you can hear the angels sing. When Irish hearts are happy, All the world seems bright and gay But when Irish eyes are smiling Sure they steal your heart away Say, that was right pretty, little lady. Now sing that song about Texas. Sure, a little bit of heaven fell from out the sky one day. (laughs) That's Irish, Mr. Judson. 
Sing another Irish song, Gracie. Yeah, how about uh, Kathleen Mavorny? Yeah, Roads of Tralee. Lakes of Killarney. Or uh, Wearing of the Green. Uh, my mother came from Ireland. Would anybody like to hear Cohen owes me $97? <laughs> Cohen owes me $97. Oh, shut up, George. <laughs> Cohen owes me ninety-seven dollars. Oh, Jack! Okay, that's the way. Well, where did George go? If Cohen owes him ninety-seven dollars, he went to collect. Oh, Bill, George's feelings are hurt, and it's your fault. Every one of you. Well, Every one of you. Well, really well, you wouldn't let him sing. You've broken his heart on Christmas Day. Now he's in there all alone with his little wrinkles filled with tears. Yeah, yeah, he's probably bawling like a fresh-weaned calf. <laughs> Let's call him back in and persuade him. To sure, that's the least we can do. Certainly. Oh, thank you. I'll call him. Uh, George, George, everybody wants to hear you sing. Won't you come back? You will. <laughs> You really want to hear me, fellas? Yeah, sure, yeah, sure, George. Go ahead. Sing it, well, okay, give me a chord, Meredith. <laughs> From time to time in every climb, Isn't blessings... Isn't that a beautiful voice? You can't give him a chance to sing. Go ahead, George. From time to time in every climb... You don't know good music when you hear it. Go ahead, George. From time to time in oh, every George, climb... George, we're really sorry we were so rude. Go ahead. <laughs> From time to time yeah, and yeah, every... It was right thoughtless of us not to let you sing Now you go right ahead <laughs> From... And I just dare anyone to stop you <laughs> Lay it on us, George <laughs> From time to time and every time your heart's content <laughs> Are you all through complimenting me? <laughs> Can I finish my song now? Sure, go ahead. From time to time and every climb, blessings come Hello? from above. Who? To some oh, Toby. Oh, hey, everybody, it's Toby Reed. Invite him over, Grace. Yeah, he can sing well, it on the floor. Sure. Oh, Toby's got a swell voice. And more of a merry. Oh, yes, everybody's here. Oh, Mr. Judson and Dr. Miller and Bill and Oh, no, 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 it was just wonderful of you to step in at the last minute and read Gracie's line. Well, it was a pleasure to do it, George, and I hope the old devil flu leaves Gracie real soon. Get up, Gracie, so we can see you New Year's Eve. Good night, Janie, and thanks again. Merry Christmas, everyone. I'll be right home, Boogie. Hey, where do you live, Louise? In all of Angeles. And what do you eat, Louise? Eat? I eat jello. And from the makers of Jell-O, a merry, merry Christmas to all of you. We hope it's been a day of days with all your Christmas dreams come true, and we hope your tree is alight with joyful candles, while the Christmas angel on the top smiles down at the youngsters underneath. Yes, a merry Christmas from Jell-O, 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 Thursday, good night and good luck from the makers of Maxwell House, America's number one preferred brand of coffee. Always good to the last drop. The George Burns and Gracie Allen Show is written by Paul Henning and Keith Fowler. And now, stay tuned in for Noah Webster Says, which follows immediately over most of these days. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. With Jane Wyman substituting for Gracie Allen, it's the Burns and Allen Show and Gracie's Christmas Party from 1947. Well, now it's time to go down to Texas. For Tales of the Texas Rangers, this is a Christmas payoff from 1951.
Tales of the Texas Rangers, starring Joel McRae as Ranger Jace Pearson. Another authentic reenactment of a case transcribed from the files of the Texas Rangers. Dates and places in the following story are fictitious for obvious reasons. The events themselves are a matter of record. Music means all things to all people. Music is relaxation, adventure, Elysian fields of dreams come true. And at this joyous holiday time, music is Christmas. We of NBC feel proud of our Monday evening lineup of truly fine music programs. Tomorrow means more fine music on NBC with the Railroad Hour featuring Gordon McRae and Lucille Norman in The Happy Prince, a special Christmas Eve production to add to your listening pleasure. Also tomorrow, there's The Voice of Firestone with guest Eleanor Stieber. Later, there's The Telephone Hour with guest soloist Blanche Thiebaum. And tomorrow, enjoy the Christmas program of The Mario Lanza Show with Mario Lanza, lovely Giselle McKenzie, and Ray Sinatra's orchestra. Yes, Monday is your invitation to music over most NBC stations. Make a program note to hear the Railroad Hour, the Voice of Firestone, the Telephone Hour, and the Mario Lanza Show tomorrow. Monday means music on NBC. Hear it on this station. And now, from the files of the Texas Rangers, the case called Christmas Payoff. It is 4 p.m. on the afternoon of December 25th, 1940, in the small West Texas town of Rockfield. In his office, Dr. Edward Hartley and his nurse are just clearing up after treating an emergency case, which has taken the doctor away from his family on this Christmas day. Doctor, before I leave, would you like me to stay? Alice, I would just like you to scoot on home where you should have been hours ago. And what about you? I think it's a shame. The one day in the year family should be together and you have an emergency. Well, anyway, old Mrs. Thompson will feel a lot better now for the holidays. Pretty nasty infection. Mm -hmm. This doctoring's the one business can't be run by a time clock. And nursing's a part of doctoring, so I leave when you do. (laughs) Trapped. Sure would have loved to spend the whole day with the youngsters, though. No, they probably won't even let you back in the house. Christmas got them so excited, I don't think they even know I'm gone. Oh, by the way, you sure you won't have supper with us? I'd love to, Doctor, but... Oh, no. Huh? What's the matter? Doctor, you come over the window for a minute? Not another patient. I think so. Uh, well, guess the Christmas tree can wait a little longer. Who is it? I don't know. Here, look. That man just getting out of the car. I don't recognize him. That arm must be in pretty bad shape. Bandage clear to the elbow. And why didn't he come in two hours ago? Hmm? What do you mean? That man was sitting in that car two hours ago. Only he was parked in front of the house next door. I wonder... Come away from there. What, Doctor, what... I don't want him to see you. Go on. What else? Well, just an hour later, when I took Mrs. Thompson out to her car, he was still there. And he meant it. He really meant it. Doctor, what is it? Alice... Now, listen to me. Don't ask any questions. I want you to get in the supply closet and stay there. Whatever you do, don't make a sound. No matter what happens out here, don't give yourself away. You understand me? Your life depends on it. What is it? Why don't we call the sheriff? I'm going to. Hurry. Hurry into the closet. Now, remember, not a sound. I should have known it had come. I didn't know when. Come on, come on. Operator, this is Doc Hartley. Listen carefully. I have to speak quietly. Get the sheriff to my office as quick as you can, and don't call back. Just get him out here. Can't stall any longer. Come in. Just a minute. Here goes. Yes? You, Doc Hartley? That's right. Well, can I come in? Oh, of course. Come in. Uh, No, that's the supply closet. My dispensary is this way. Now, if you'll just get up on the table. Uh, Would you like to lie down? More comfortable for that arm. I'll sit. That's a lot of bandaging. What did you do to that hand? I think maybe I sprained it. 
You're the doc. Suppose you tell me. Hmm. Always work this slow, doc? Oh, uh, I'm sorry. Where's your nurse? She's gone home a long time ago. Not even supposed to be working today. This is Christmas, you know? Yeah, yeah I know. Why don't you pull the last of the bandage off, Doc? Don't you want to see my hand? I know what's in it. Then I'll do it myself. Yeah. See? There's your Christmas present, Doc, in my fist. Nice 38. Don't you want it, Doc? Why are you doing this? Why? Maybe I shouldn't give it to you. You guessed what it was. Spoiled my surprise. Nah, you look like a nice guy. I'll give it to you anyway. Look at me, Doc. You know what it's for. You get your... Merry Christmas, Doc. Sheriff Lon McGill, on arriving at the scene of the crime, found Dr. Hartley dead and Nurse Alice Leonard in a state of physical collapse. He immediately asked for the help of the Texas Rangers. Ranger Jace Pearson was assigned joining the sheriff at the doctor's office a short while later. Photographer will be out of your way in a minute, Jace. The nurse I told you about is in the other room. Maybe you want to talk to her first. Yeah, thanks, Sheriff. She's still as bad off as she was. Oh, she's some better now. It's a rough thing for a woman to have to go through. Yeah, plenty rough. In here, Jace. Uh, Alice. Alice, this is Ranger Pearson. Alice Leonard, Jace. Been Doc Hartley's nurse for six years. Howdy, ma'am. I, I'm sorry. I just can't seem to get a hold of myself. But it was so horrible. I know how you must feel, ma'am, but you'll be helping a lot by answering a few questions. I tried. Fine. Sheriff here has given me what you told him, so I won't put you through that again. Just want to clear up a few things. You know of anyone who might have wanted Doc dead? Oh, what sort of person would want that? Doctor was a wonderful man. Never had an enemy in his life. Sheriff, he'll tell you that. That's right, Jace. Doc was a real popular man in this town. I never heard a word against him. Friend didn't put him where he is now, Sheriff. Ma'am, you say you saw the killer's face? Yes, through the keyhole. You think you'd recognize him if you saw him again? Yes, I'm sure I would. Good. Now, from their conversation, would you say the doctor knew this man? No. Yet when he saw him through the window, he made you hide in the closet. Yes, that's right. He say anything at all about the man? No. Wait. Wait, I remember now he said something about... He meant it. He meant it? Yes. What is it, ma'am? I just remembered something, a note. What note, Alice? A few weeks ago, the doctor got a letter. I opened it because I take care of his mail. Go on. The inside was just a piece of paper with words cut out from newspapers, pasted to it. It said the payoff is soon. What did the doctor say when he saw it? Well, he just laughed, said it was some sort of joke. But I caught him sitting and staring at it a few times after that. You know where that letter is? Well, I think it's in his desk. Miss Leonard, you remember anything about the car this man drove? No. Just that it was black, a sedan. Oh, and the front fender had a big dent in it. I remember I could see it from the office window. I think that'll do for now, ma'am. You go home and try and get some rest. Uh, Tell the deputy I said to drive you home, Alice. I will. I hope you find the man that did this. I hope you find him. Poor woman. She was mighty fond of the doc, Jason. Must have spent some bad minutes in that closet. Yeah, the doc had a couple of bad minutes, too, Sheriff. Uh, the photographer must be finished in there by now. Let's take a look. Nothing's been touched in there, Jason. Everything's just the way we found it. Thought you'd want it that way. Thanks, Sheriff. Let's have a look at the doc. Yeah, just whip the sheet off him here. He shot at close range, all right. Powder burns. The angle of the shot seemed to bear out the nurse's story. Ballistics will fill us in later. Let's have a look at this desk. Okay, Jason. Well, there's not much on this side, Jace. What's the matter? A drawer full of Christmas candies. 
It'll be a nice Christmas for those poor kids. Hey, wait a minute, Jason. I think this is what you want. And that's it. The payoff is soon. No envelope with it? Mm. I reckon Doc threw that away. It'd be a tough one to trace. Cheap paper, the message, and newspaper captions. It's used a lot for blackmail because it's so hard to run down. Well, where to now, Jace? Has the Doc's wife been told about this yet? No. Been holding off. I sure don't relish it, none. Those kids and all. Let's tell her together then, Sheriff. It's a little easier that way. Thanks, Jason. Anything more we can do here? No, but before we go, I want to check on that black sedan with a smashed front fender. See if it's on the stolen car list. Sure thing. If you can spare a couple of deputies, Sheriff, I'd like them to do a house-to-house on this street. Maybe somebody else got a look at that car or the killer. It's a good idea, Jace. There's not much to go on, is there? There's enough. They always leave enough. This is one killer I want, Sheriff. I want him bad. A black sedan with a smashed front fender was on the stolen car list. We finished our calls and left. Fifteen minutes later, we stood in front of a large, neat house on a well-kept street. Staring at the front door, Doc Hartley would never open again. Through the parlor window, we could see three laughing kids and proud grandparents around a Christmas tree. It was a rough doorbell to ring. Darling, I thought you'd never... Oh, I'm sorry. I was expecting my husband. Oh, Sheriff McGill. Howdy, Miss Hartley. Can we come in? Oh, why, of course. Please do. I imagine you want to see Ed. I'm I'm sorry he had an emergency, but if you like, Mrs. I Mrs. Hartley, this is Ranger Pearson. Howdy, ma'am. <laughs> Hello, Ranger. Pleased to meet you. Ma'am, can we speak to you privately? I mean, in another room, away from them. Of course. Come in here. Well, what is it? Ma'am, it's best to say it quickly. Your husband, he's been killed. Oh, no. Here, you, you, you better sit down, Miss Hartley. Yeah. I'm sorry, ma'am. How did it happen? He was shot, ma'am, by a man who came in asking for treatment. I want to find that man, Mrs. Hartley. I... I know how you feel at a time like this, but if you could answer a few questions, it'd help. I'll try. Has anyone threatened your husband that you know of? Did he seem worried lately? No. Did anyone call him today beside the woman he went to treat? Just a man. What man? A little past noon, the phone rang. Some man asked for my husband. I told him he was at the office on an emergency, and he just hung up. You recognize the voice, Mrs. Hartley? No. Just one more question, ma'am. Do you know of anyone who had a grudge against the doctor who would have wanted this to happen? No. Nobody. Nobody except... Except who? Oh, I was thinking of that man, the the one he sent to prison. Sent to prison, ma'am? I think I can explain that, Jace. You mean that Nixon thing, Miss Hartley? Yes. Well, it happened a couple of years back, Jace. A fellow named Al Nixon robbed the payroll of a gas-cracking plant about 40 miles from here. Shot during the getaway, though. Came through here and forced Doc Hartley to treat him at gunpoint. You know what kind of stretch they gave him, Sheriff? No, I don't remember. You see, that was before I was Sheriff. I was living at the other end of the county then. Well, anyway, seems Doc somehow sneaked a phone call while he was treating Nixon, and the police got him. Isn't that right, Miss Hartley? Yes. They sent him to Huntsville. Mrs. Hartley, I'm sorry to put you through this. We're going to leave now. Is there anything we can do for you? Nothing. There's nothing anyone can do. How will I tell the children? Oh, <laughs> 
from KTXA ought to be in any minute now, Sheriff. I still don't see why you ask him for that rundown on Nixon, Jace. You thinking maybe he's out? I don't know, Sheriff, but I sure want to find out. Nixon's got a real good motive for this killing. Well, I got to go with you on that. But... KTXA, now, hold it, Sheriff. Unit 10. That's KTXA it. KTXA to Unit 10. Unit 10 to KTXA. Go ahead. Have information you requested. Al Nixon, sentence life term, Huntsville Penitentiary, December 1937. Money from gas-cracking plant payroll never recovered. 10-4, unit 10 clear. KDXA Austin. Well, that kind of kills that, don't it, Jace? Man with the best motive of all is serving life at Huntsville. Uh, Still too good to pass by, Sheriff. What do you mean? Look, Nixon may be in Huntsville for life, but that doesn't change his motive. It's still good. So good I want to see him. I'm going to Huntsville in the morning. In a moment, we will continue with Tales of the Texas Rangers, starring Joel McRae as Ranger Jace Pearson. Who catches tuberculosis? The young? Yes, but so do the old. And so do people of any race or nationality. Half a million Americans are afflicted with TB. 40,000 a year die from it. Yet TB is preventable and curable. It can be controlled. How? One way is through Christmas seals. Christmas seals are the sole support of the 3,000 voluntary associations affiliated with the National Tuberculosis Association, which are fighting to wipe out TB in their communities. The greater the Christmas seal sale, the nearer we are to ending the scourge of tuberculosis. If you haven't already purchased your Christmas seals, you can still buy and use them. Be glad of this easy, inexpensive way to help others. Be grateful for the opportunity to help safeguard your own home against the dread white plague. And now back to Tales of the Texas Rangers, starring Joel McRae. We continue now with Tales of the Texas Rangers and our authentic story, Christmas Payoff. Next morning, I left Nurse Alice Leonard with the sheriff to begin the long job of trying to pick a killer's picture out of the gallery. Then I headed for Huntsville. I wasn't in the visiting room five minutes when Nixon was brought in. A brutal-looking little man who shuffled forward and sat across the table from me, waiting for me to talk. My name's Pearson, Nixon. Ranger Pearson. Uh, What do you want, a medal for remembering your name? I want some answers. (laughs) And if I don't give them to you, you'll have me arrested, huh? <laughs> you remember Dr. Hartley, Nixon? Yeah. Yeah, I remember him. Look around. Ain't this good reason to remember him? He didn't put you here. You put yourself here. Hartley put me here. Oh, but don't you worry ahead about me, Ranger. I'll make out. Yeah. You worry about Hartley. Hartley's dead, Nixon. You, you mean that? He's dead. Shot to death. <laughs> Something funny, Nixon? <laughs> sure, sure. Don't you get it? He put me in here, now he's dead, but I'm still alive. <laughs> Ooh, you cops, you're all so smart, ain't you? Sure, sure, you got me, but you never got the money. And best of all, Hartley is dead. You're in the right place, Nixon. Uh, uh, so that's why you're here, huh? Maybe I killed him, huh? <laughs> Sure, sure. I'll confess. I just walked through the walls, knocked them off, and flew back like a bird. <laughs> One call for you, Ranger. You can take it in the office. All right, guy. Thanks. Is Rose Nixon? Yeah, you can have him. This way. Hey, Ranger, arrest me. I killed him. I killed him. In there, Ranger. Thanks. Hello? Sheriff McGill, Jace. How are you making out? Old trail, Sheriff. Nixon's no help. How'd you come out? Nurse picked out a picture, Jace. Swears it's him. Fella named Lou Crowley. You run a make on him? I sure did. He did the last two years in Huntsville. Released a week ago. Beginning to fit, Sheriff. Any more on that car? I was just coming to that. They found it about a hundred miles from here. Abandoned in some brush just outside of Crest City. I want to see that car, Sheriff. 
Tell him to hold it where it is. As soon as I talk to the warden, I'm heading for Crest City. Want to meet me there? Sure thing, Jace. Meet you at the hotel. Never can tell what's coming, Sheriff. That cold trail's all warmed up again. I had my talk with the warden and then met the sheriff in Crest City. As we headed for the spot where the abandoned car had been found, I kept thinking of Doc's wife and her three small kids. I was getting closer to a killer, and I liked it. Oh, I don't know, Jason. No matter how I figure it, there's always a couple of loose ends. Well, then try this, Sheriff. Al Nixon is doing life for a payroll robbery, and he's convinced it's Doc Hartley's fault. Now, that payroll was never found because Nixon hid it someplace before they got him. Yeah, I follow that far, Jason. In Huntsville with Nixon was Lou Crowder. Now, Nixon knew he wasn't ever going to get to use that money, so suppose he made a deal with Crowder. Crowder could have it if he killed Doc Hartley. But what was to stop Crowder from just digging up the money and not killing the Doc? Nixon's too smart for that, Sheriff. Probably set it up so he'd let Crowder know where the money is after he was sure of Doc's death. It figures all right. But how would he let Crowder know? By letter, Sheriff. The warden told me Nixon's already written Crowder three times. What good would that do? All mail coming out of Huntsville is censored, Jace. I know, but the two men had plenty of time to rig a code when they were together in the pen. Then a letter could be the answer. That's right. Yeah, the highway patrol car up ahead must be where the car is. Yeah. Yeah, this is it. Howdy. Uh, howdy, fellas. It, there's a car, Jace, just behind this brush. Jace, even if your figuring's right, what do you reckon this car is going to tell us? Just one thing, Sheriff. That's it. I don't get it, Jace. You will. Look, would Crowder want to hang around a town he'd killed a man in? No, reckon not. But if he's expecting a letter from Nixon... He's got a light someplace to get it. What are you driving at? Put this together. This car's still in running order. Crowder didn't have to leave it. That makes Crest City a pretty good bet for the place the letter's going to be picked up. But what if Crowder's already picked the letter up? It's not likely. Nixon didn't even know about the killing until I told him today. He'd want to be sure before he paid off. What if Nixon double-crosses Crowder? Suppose he don't send the letter telling where the money is. He'll send it, Sheriff. I got a good look at Nixon's face when I told him Doc was dead. He'll send it. Back in Crest City, the postmaster agreed to notify us the minute he got any letter postmarked Huntsville without giving it out. The very next day, the letter was there. A man had come in for it, but was told it hadn't arrived. The postmaster noticed the man was driving a car with a horse trailer attached. I got my horse trailer, and we set the trap in the post office the next morning. That's Crowder, all right, Jason. He got the letter. Shall we take him? No. Hold it, Sheriff. What's the matter? I don't want to take a chance. He's probably armed. Some of these people may get hurt. Well, what are you going to do? Give him a lead and tail him. All right. Let's move up the front door and see where he goes. He just got in that car, Jason. Yeah. The one with the trailer. He's pulling out. Come on. You reckon he'll head straight for that money? Yeah, there's no doubt about it. He's not pulling that horse trailer for nothing. He must be heading someplace. He can't use a car. Yeah. It's all right with me. We'll get him, Sheriff. Wherever he goes, we'll get him. Almost three hours, we trailed Crowder by car, never getting too near him, just pinpointing him. When the country got rough, he left his car and switched to the horse he'd been pulling. So did we. We gave him a bigger lead and just followed his tracks. Awful rough climb, Jace. You sure were following him? I don't see any tracks. We're following him all right, Sheriff. Didn't you just see that turned rock moist on one side? A hoof did that. Beats me how you spot him. Hold it, Sheriff. Oh, oh, oh. It's a drop-off just ahead. I want to look. See anything, Jay? Shh. Hold it. 
He's just over the drop, about 20 feet. Is he digging, Jace? Better than that, Sheriff. He's found it already. Now look, Sheriff, he's in a dead-end canyon. I'm going down after him. You cut along this ridge and close in from the base. All right, Jace, but be careful. Come on, boy. Crowder! Get your hands up. You'll never take me, copper! That's a warning, Crowder. Next one will be through your head. Now throw your gun away. All right. All right, don't shoot. You see, my hands are up. Keep them there. Look, Look Ranger. There's 30,000 bucks here. I'll make a deal with you. Take half the money. Just give me a chance. Like the chance you gave, Doc? You're not going to get that money. No, you don't. <laughs> give me that knife. <laughs> you all right, Jake? <laughs> yeah. I'm all right, Sheriff. You were taking an awful chance that way, Jace. Oh, oh. Yeah, I know it, Sheriff. I had a bad minute there when I saw his knife glint in the sun. Thought you'd have to gun him for sure. I didn't want it that way. I had to take Crowder alive, Sheriff. He's my Christmas present to the warden at Huntsville. In just a moment, we will tell you the results of the case you have just heard. With Christmas just around the corner, we at NBC hope that you all will have a joyful, happy holiday season. With the program scheduled on the NBC radio network, we will try to add to your listening pleasure as you relax and tune for your favorite entertainers. Special programs are planned by all of our NBC shows, and we know that you will want to hear as many of them as you possibly can. To put it in musical form, here is a holiday wish from the NBC Chimes. Happy holiday, Yes, from all of us at NBC to all of you throughout the country comes this sincere, hearty wish for a Merry Christmas. Here are the results of the case you have just heard. On February 3rd, 1941, Al Nixon was removed from Huntsville Penitentiary to stand trial along with Lou Crowder for the premeditated murder of Dr. Hartley. Both men were found guilty. The sentence, death in the electric chair. This is Joel McRae, folks. I just want to say I hope you'll all have a happy holiday season and many more to come. See you next week. Next week, Joel McRae in another authentic reenactment of a case from the files of the Texas Rangers. cast included Tony Barrett, Lillian Byam, Whitfield Connor, Lou Krugman, Michael Ann Barrett, and Farley Bear. Technical advisor was Captain M.T. Lone Wolf Gonzalez of the Texas Rangers. This story was transcribed and adapted by Anthony Barrett, and the program was produced and directed by Stacy Keach. Hal Gipney speaking. Next, it's The Big Show. All this and Tallulah 2 on NBC. That's it for this week. We'll be back next week with more old-time radio. I hope you can join us then. Till then, this is Jim Dolan thanking you for listening.